Amen. Well, good morning to you. If you are a member here, have been here for the past little bit, you know that uh, I have not preached in about four weeks, and you know what that means for a preacher. It means cancel your lunch reservations. So if you have your Bibles this morning, and I hope you do, I invite you to turn with me to the book of Jude, as James said earlier. But also always as an important reminder, uh, when I don't preach, it's not like a lot of uh, churches that maybe we grew up in or familiar with. It's not that the preacher wasn't preaching. We are blessed to have uh, currently four, um, four men who serve as elders here and uh, one or two more who uh, God is, is working on and in and through. And so we are blessed to have um, multiple men in our church who are called um, and gifted at preaching the Word of God. And so very, very grateful for that. And so uh, and also very grateful kind of for a new rhythm, hopefully for us as North Hills, as we finish books of the Bible, which sometimes is a long endeavor and sometimes is not as long an endeavor, uh, that we are going to strive to preach through uh, some Psalms and Proverbs during those, uh, those periods in between books of the Bible. Uh, we just finished, um, what did we just finish? What book did we just preach through? Was it Hebrews? I feel like there's another one. Habakkuk, thank you. <laughs> it's been so long, my brain's not even working. Yes, it was an H. So uh, Hebrews, uh, not too long ago, then into Habakkuk uh, for 10 weeks, and then uh, now we are turning to the book of Jude. Uh, more than likely, if you are like most people, you are not too familiar with the book of Jude. Uh, at best, you may be familiar with this doxology. We're just saying uh, a particular doxology, not the one from Jude. But uh, Jude, uh, of course, it's one chapter, as we'll see, but uh, Jude 24 through 25 is, some would say, uh, one of the, the richest doxologies in the New Testament, and we'll get to there at some point. Uh, but that's a, the extent of a lot of people's understanding and experience with this book. It's easy to find. You go to the very back of the Bible, to the book of Revelation, not Revelations, uh, and go one book over, and there's Jude, the second to last book uh, of our canon. Canon is interesting to talk about as you work through Jude because one of the reasons that people are kind of scared of Jude, if we're just to be honest, is because it mentions some non-canon books that we'll get to in the weeks ahead that we won't deal with this morning uh, that we call the Apocrypha. And so he does uh, cite on multiple occasions uh, some uh, other passages that are not what we call inspired scripture, but are still good uh, and helpful and important to the church, especially to the Hebrew church. And this is uh, specifically Jude's audience, as we'll see. Uh, Jude, as we're going to talk about who Jude is here in just a moment, he is speaking to a, a Hebrew group. Now, we don't know exactly which church that he is talking to. Uh, a lot of the letters we see in the New Testament are written to specific congregations that are named. Uh, most of those letters are even named after those congregations, like Corinthians and Galatians, Ephesians, uh, Philippians, and the, a lot of those are cities, and uh, all those are cities. But Jude, although he's not listed to a specific congregation, it seems very clear that he is speaking to a specific congregation because he is addressing a very specific issue amongst a very specific group. And so we'll, uh, we'll deal with more on that as it comes up. And so, uh, so Jude is this interesting book. It's only 25 verses um, that a lot of us just kind of skim over. And honestly, it's one of my favorite kind of books to preach through because it helps us to go places we haven't gone to understand the beauty of God's Word. Uh, God's Word is 66 books, as we've said this morning. 
inerrant, infallible, inspired. Um, it is sufficient. It is, is all these things that we hold to be true, uh, that we are convinced are true, that we, uh, that we rally around. It is the arbiter of all things, we say here at North Hills. It is, uh, it is that single source of truth that the individual, especially if not solely the believer, can look to as God's uh, inspired will for our lives. We don't have to guess and throw chicken bones, right? And cast lots to know what God's will is. If you want to hear from the voice of God, here is Scripture. And I forget, was it R.C. Sproul or someone much weirder than me? If you want to hear the audible voice of God, read the Bible out loud. <laughs> and there is the audible voice of God right there. Or listen to James Earl Jones read it. Take your pick. Uh, so this is Jude, uh, just a little bit of background information that we're not going to dig into too much, that it's always helpful as we start new books of the Bible. Um, and it's almost everything we start. It's just always so much, you know, there's so many different things. It depends on who you read, who you listen to. Uh, there's, there's always, there's always division. Division is maybe a strong word. There's always differences of understanding, especially whenever you're trying to understand and date and put in context a letter that was written some 2,000 years ago. Uh, but we're going to do the best we can to be faithful with the proper understanding of the context of Jude, who it is, who it's written to, why it's written, and the, what's going on in the backdrop of this letter. And so Jude, uh, some would say it's written between 60 A.D. and 150 A.D. How's that for range? About 90 years there. Uh, although I would, uh, doing some study, I would say in most conservative uh, uh, theologians and commentators and, uh, and preachers would put it between 60 and 80 A.D., uh, depending on some different things. Jude is actually very similar to another book that we've preached before. If you turn a few books over, you find First and Second Peter, and it's very similar uh, to Second Peter. Uh, the 25 verses in Jude, there's actually 19 of those that are found in Second Peter. And some will use those to kind of date, was it written before or after Second Peter? And of course, like everything, some would say this and some would say something else. But we know this, it was written. And we know who was the author of Jude, and the author of Jude is the Holy Spirit. Thank you. Now, who wrote it, we'll get to in just a second. But the author of Jude is the same author of Second Peter, the same author of Genesis, and every book between Genesis and Revelation, and that is the Holy Spirit, inspired by the Spirit of God. And so we have... Uh, confidence and we have uh, we have hope and we we know that Jude being put into the canon of scripture is a book that we need to understand and it's a book that we would do well to understand and do well to work through so uh, written between probably 1680 AD written uh, in relation to uh, to, uh, to to Peter uh, written to a very Hebrew group of peoples we're going to see the the original audience of Jude were very, very Jewish. They weren't just a little Jewish. They weren't new Jews. They were deeply, deeply Jewish people. They were people who had a deep understanding of the things of the Hebrew uh, culture, of the Hebrew Bible. And so Jude says things that to us doesn't make sense at first. And so we're going to, have to do a little digging in our journey through Jude to understand what did he say? What does that mean? How does that help me in the 21st century in Western Louisiana? So we're going to do some diligent work in our journey through Jude to understand. Because here's the beauty. Although this was written some 2,000 years ago to a Hebrew people uh, by a guy named Jude that we've never met, uh, we know that it's good for us today. We also know it's not about us, right? Jude is not about us. The Bible is not about us. The Bible is about 
Y'all are the worst, okay? About Jesus, okay? The Bible's about Jesus. All of Scripture is about Jesus, but it's for us. God has given us His precious Word that's about Christ. Every page, this scarlet thread that goes through all of the Bibles about Christ, ultimately. But it's for us. It's for our good and for the glory of God. And so we're going to see Jesus in Jude. And uh, we're going to see the church, the bride of Christ, be encouraged uh, in the book of Jude. And we're going to see specifically how the bride of Christ is the intended audience this morning. So, with all that said, let's just let's read. Uh, we're not going to read the whole book this morning. We're just going to read the introduction. Uh, this greeting, if you will. Jude, uh, verse 1 through verse 2. Of course, chapter 1 of Jude. The whole series will be in chapter 1. FYI, we won't get out of chapter 1. So Jude 1, 1 says, Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called, beloved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ, may mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Let's pray before we really begin. Lord, thank you for this morning. Thank you for allowing us to come to this, for us, a new book that we have never walked through, uh, maybe have never even referenced, Lord. Thank you for the truth that we find in the book of Jude. Thank you for the truth that you allow us to discover as we diligently seek to see Christ in this scripture. Thank you for this beautiful uh, introduction, these first couple verses. Lead us by your Holy Spirit this morning. May we receive understanding by your Holy Spirit. In Christ's name we do pray. Amen. Uh, Jude is an interesting sandwich, if you will. I love sandwiches. And so the sandwich of Jude is the first two verses and the last uh, two verses. So verse 1 and 2, verse 24 and 25 are these kind of glorious passages. Passages They're encouraging, they're uplifting, they're very praiseworthy. But the middle of that sandwich uh, from Verse thir- from verse 3 down to verse 23, uh, Jude is not necessarily this happy-go-lucky guy. We're going to see next week. I wanted to be happy and go lucky. I wanted to pr- thank the Lord for all the things He's done and talk about our salvation, but I'm not going to do that, as we'll see next week. And he uh, comes to the church uh, with a very specific purpose, which is to, uh, to, to ultimately point out and to, to see the true bride of Christ and to weed out... Uh, those who are not the that those who are not the true bride of Christ, and so uh, this first week we get to look at these first couple of verses, which just are are beautiful passages of scripture, a beautiful introduction. And so let's just start there, verse one. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James. Well, he starts off. Who wrote the book? Jude. Now we know that the Holy Spirit authored it. Now who wrote it? Who did the Holy Spirit of God use to write, to author, and to pen this letter entitled Jude? Now there are five potential candidates. Of course, some would say there's eight, but we're going to stick with five because it's a good number and I can point to all five of those. Because believe it or not, there are five different Judes in the New Testament. Jude in the Hebrew actually is uh, pronounced Judah, and then in the Greek oftentimes is Judas, as we're more familiar with in the New Testament, as we will understand why he took the nickname Jude here in a little bit. And so uh, there are five different Judases that we see in the New Testament. One of those is Judas of Damascus. You can go to Acts chapter 9, verse 11. If you want to know about him, we know his address. We know he lived on Straight Street. 
Uh, so we know that uh, that was a Judas in Scripture. Uh, that's about all we know of Judas of Damascus. Uh, so he lived on Straight Street, and God used him in a, in a very specific way in Paul's life. Uh, but that's not the Jude. That's not the Judah, the Judas, who wrote this letter. There's also Judas uh, Barsabbas, who was a prophet that you can find in Acts chapter 15, uh, verse 32. We don't know much about him. We know God used him. We know he's in Acts, uh, but that's about it. And so he is not, uh, we, we see the kind of the clear, uh, the clear second thing we know about Jude is that he is not just a servant of Jesus. He's the brother of James. And these first two Judases are not the brother of James that we see. And so Judas of Damascus, Judas of uh, Barsabbas, and then we have Judas Iscariot. Uh, who's probably the Judas that we all know, who's the most famous Judas, his most famous Judas, who's one of the twelve. We know he's a traitor. He betrayed Christ, and we know he's the son of perdition, and all these things about Judas. And we know that if your name was Judas and you wrote a book, you would go by nickname, and he chose Jude. And so uh, we don't want to be associated with Judas Iscariot. The fourth Judas, <laughs> even funnier, is Judas not Iscariot. <laughs> And so, uh, as he is described in John chapter 14, verse 22, let's just turn there because I love to laugh and I love whenever Scripture makes me laugh. And so, if you don't think God has a sense of humor, just read through the Bible with open eyes and you will catch yourself laughing, laughing often. And Jude, I mean, John chapter 14, verse 22, if your Bible inter- uh, interprets it and translates it the same way as the ESV does, is Judas, parentheses, not Iscariot. <laughs> That's all you need to know. It's a different Judas. It's not him. Uh, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? And Jesus answered him. And so we see this disciple, there were two disciples of Jesus named Judas. One of those Iscariot and one was not Iscariot. And then we come to Oh, and actually, and a little more confusing, especially depending on your translation, that Judas found in John chapter 14, one of the disciples. Uh, I believe it's found in uh, Luke chapter 6, uh, where some will say, I'll just go with me real quick. We're going to be all over Scripture this morning, so just have your fingers warmed up. Uh, Luke chapter 6, verse 13, I do believe it is, when uh, there is this list of the apostles. It says in verse 12, there these days went out to the mountain to pray all night. He continued to pray to God. And when the day came, he called his disciples and chose from them a twelve, whom he named apostles, Simon, who he named Peter, Andrew, his brother, and James and John and Philip and Bartholomew and Matthew and Thomas and James, the son of Alphaeus and Simon, who's called the Zealot and Judas, the son of James and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. So we see those two Judases there. Uh, in some translations say the brother of James. When you look in the Greek, it actually is more faithfully interpreted the son of James. Because the language says that it is James of Judas, or Judas of James, which properly understood is the son of James. And so, uh, if these four Judases aren't it, will the real Judas stand up? And so enter Jude, uh, the author of Jude, is Judas, who is uh, the brother of uh, James, and therefore the brother of Jesus. And so that is the Jude that is writing this letter to this church for our good and for the glory of God. And although the Bible does not speak of this Jude uh, specifically anywhere else, uh, it does speak of the brothers of Jesus in other places. And so we see in, uh, in Jude 1 there that we know that he's a servant of Jesus Christ. We'll come back to just a second. And he's a brother of James. And so because he's a brother of James, we can know a little bit more about this Jude or about this Judas, if you will. 
You can go to John chapter 7, verse 5. This says, not even his brothers, not even the brothers of Jesus, and he had four brothers that we know of, not even Jude and his other brothers believed in Jesus. So we know that in the earthly ministry of Jesus, whenever Jesus was born, and I don't know the age gap between Jude and Jesus, uh, we know Jesus was the firstborn, obviously, in his family. Uh, we know that all of his brothers were half-brothers because we know Joseph was not Jesus' dad. And so, but all these brothers, half-brothers of Jesus, none of them believed that Jesus was the Son of God. They all rejected Jesus as the Messiah. And what would you do if your brother said he was the Son of God and the Messiah of the world? Yeah, I bet you do think that. Uh, now, obviously, that's flippant and that's uh, tongue-in-cheek, but his brothers did not believe. They rejected Jesus. We see this in Scripture clearly. And to think on that for a moment, that the half-brother of Jesus did not believe that Jesus was the Messiah. Now, they saw Jesus, right, more than anyone else, especially for the first 30 years. They saw him grow up. They saw him his, live his life amongst uh, Mary and Joseph. They saw him become a carpenter. They saw how he treated people, how he, how he handled all of life. And right, that's how we often know someone's, uh, who they really are is when you live with them, when you're at home with them, when you're family. Now, you can fake it in, in much of the world, but you can't fake it at home. And they see Jesus. They see his life. They see his faithfulness. They see his righteousness. Because Jesus wasn't just righteous at the end of his days. He didn't become righteous when he started his public ministry. Okay, it's time to put the towel on. It's time to become a preacher. It's time to start looking the part. Jesus was perfect, the perfect son of God. He lived perfectly and righteously his entire 33 years as a man. But here are his brothers, Jude and his other brothers, and they see Jesus and they still do not receive him as Christ. They do not believe him to be the Messiah. They rejected his claim and only saw him as an earthly brother. Fast forward to his resurrection and to his ascension. Go with me to Acts, very uh, beginning of Acts, Acts chapter 1. We see the, the, the scene change for them. In Acts chapter 1, Jesus has, at this point, He has been crucified. He has been resurrected. He has come back. He has um, um, shown Himself to all the witnesses. And now He has ascended again to heaven. And now we're in this period of waiting between His ascension and the descension of the Holy Spirit. The coming of the Holy Spirit that we see in Acts and then what's happening in the middle of this, uh, Acts chapter 1, verse uh, 2, they returned to Jerusalem from the mount that was called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey away. When they had entered, they went into the upper room and they were staying. Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, and Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James, the twelve disciples, eleven disciples at this point, about to cast lots for the twelfth one. All of these, with one accord, were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. And so we see, and we see it not only in Acts chapter 1, we see it in church history, we see it throughout the New Testament, we see it most specifically here in the letter of Jude, that his brothers go from a place of unbelief to a place of belief. They look to Jesus, their brother, their half-brother, and they don't see him as a brother anymore. They see him as master. And so there is this long gap uh, in Jude's life of unbelief and belief. And so here is, 
Here is Jude, who now is writing about Jesus. And ultimately, we know that Jesus is the, uh, the headline of every book. And so ultimately, he is, uh, he, is, he is focused on Christ, as we'll see in just a moment, as he identifies himself as a servant of Jesus Christ. But as we think about this just for a minute, just for us today, what does it mean for us today? In a very practical sense, it means there's hope, Right? If Jesus' half-brother, if his four brothers who he lived with and grew up rejected him and later came to know him, how much more is there hope for our loved ones who currently do not know the Lord? That we should not give up. We should continue to point them to Christ. We should continue to preach the gospel and share the gospel. And how easy is it the older we get, the more maybe disconnected we come with our family or our friends or our loved ones. Or it's easy just to even our, our close friends that we, we kind of uh, navigate away from because they don't share our love for the Lord, which changes everything we do in life and who we are and, and how we behave and how we live and how we see our whole reality. But yet not to give up, to continue to pray for our friends, our loved ones, those who do not know the Lord, to continue to press in with them and share the gospel with them. Because the gospel is never too far removed from anyone. As we'll see this morning, that we are not only saved by the gospel, we are kept by the gospel. And so it means that there is hope for us today that God will save those who are his. And Jude is one of his. And so we see that this morning. So it's clear that Jude understands now who he is in Christ. Because he, he identifies himself, not just Jude. I mean, because think about it. If you, are, um, if you are Jude and you're writing this letter to a church in which you need some authority, and if you need authority in the church, how do you introduce yourself? <clears throat> I'm Jude. I am the brother of Jesus. <laughs> I grew up with him. <laughs> we fought together. We went up, fill in the blank. I am Jesus' brother. Hear me, Roy. Hear what I have to say. And that is not what he says. He says, I am Jude. I am a servant of Jesus Christ. Imagine him even writing that out, right? Imagine the, all the work that God did in his heart and life for him to pen those words through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. I am Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ. That is a new man who is writing. That is not just simply the earthly brother of Jesus. That is someone who has been uh, the Holy Spirit and dwells in him as he recognizes who he is. Because he doesn't identify himself as the brother of Jesus, in which he probably would have been helpful in his credentials. But he identifies two relationships in verse 1. A servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James. Let's look at those two relationships uh, this morning. First of all, he's a servant of Jesus Christ. Uh, as we said, you know, this is not you know, the most logical introduction uh, and we, we like to think, you know, we don't write books, right? Believe it or not, there's two, three, four folks here who have some experience writing books. And, uh, and so, but not all of us, right? We don't write books. We don't think about authoring something. But it hit me as I was kind of working through this. A lot of you in here have introductions. Uh, if you look at your social media accounts, and I did a little snooping last night. I went to Twitter. Now, full disclosure, I think my last post on Twitter was like in 1994, okay? Back when it was MySpace. I'm kidding. Uh, it's been a long time, four or five years. I'm not really on Twitter, but I went to Twitter, looked at my few folks that I follow, and I was amazed to see. Now, granted, because I don't follow it, most of the people I follow are close friends that love Jesus. Uh, and all their introductions were similar to Jude's. It started with, I love Jesus. I actually wrote a few of them down. 
You won't believe who the first one is. Uh, here's some. Here's three. Yeah, three Twitter. Three Twitter introductions I saw. Believer, mortgage banker, VP, mortgage sales strategy coach. Dear friend Justin there, Origin Bank. Christ follower, wife, daughter, friend, sister, aunt, math teacher. I'm a pastor, husband, father, father, musician who plays 90s country. Uh, great introduction, right? When people want you to understand who they are, right? Here's their, their, their chance to write verse 1 of their life. Who they are. Who is their identity? And so we see Jude's identity is first and foremost rooted in that he was a servant of Jesus Christ. He made it very clear who he belonged to. And when I say belong, in the truest sense of who he belonged to, because this word servant found in Jude 1 is not a, the, the servant word we get for deacon. Uh, it is the servant word we get for slave, a doulos. And so he says that I am Jude, I am a slave of my half-brother. I am a slave of Jesus Christ. That is who I am. Go with me real quick to 1 Peter chapter 1. Verse uh, 18 and 19, talking about who we, are, who we are as believers. Just knowing, in 1 Peter 1, 18, knowing that you are ransomed, that you were ransomed, that you were redeemed, that you were purchased from the futile ways, inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. So yes, we are slaves who were purchased. We were purchased not with money, not with acts or deeds. We were purchased with the blood of Jesus, the most precious currency that has ever existed. And so Christ died for us. As we're going to come to the communion table this morning and remember what Jesus has done for us. Remember His broken body and His blood that was poured out for the new covenant for those who look to Him. Jude made it very clear that he was a slave of Jesus. He was purchased by Jesus. He belonged to Jesus. Slavery was a major aspect of society whenever Jude wrote this letter. And we see this a lot in the New Testament, um, this idea of being a doulos, uh, this, this thought of slavery. We see it come in and out of the New Testament. Slaves were purchased by their owners. And so you can imagine as you can imagine, being expect, a slave being expected to be fully obedient and fully submissive to their master. So this, whenever Jude says he's a servant of Jesus Christ, he is saying so much as he's speaking to the church. He is reminding them not just of his identity, but the identity of the true church, the identity of those who are believers, the identity of those who are the true bride of Christ. Because just like in the first century whenever Jude wrote this letter is the same story today that not all those who come into this door are truly Christ followers not everybody who comes into a church service not everybody who listens to a sermon not everyone who sings a song not everyone who prays a prayer truly belong to Jesus because they never have truly repented of their sins and turned to Christ and trusted in him for the forgiveness of their sins and their hope for eternal life this is Jude saying, I am a servant. I am a slave of Christ. All that I am is His. All that I am is because of Him. I am His and He is mine. 
Jude is saying here from the onset that, look, I am a slave of Jesus. He is my Lord and Master. Him do I truly desire to please. Can we say that of our life as we look at our life? Because honestly, we are people of many masters in our life. Our spouses, we live in a culture where our children oftentimes are our masters, our employers, expectation of, of the media or the expectation of people seeing us on social media. You're to really be honest with yourself and you're really to think through that today. You'd probably say, I am living a life that is being submissive to so many other people more than Christ. And whenever we remember, we understand that we are first and foremost, and not even first and foremost, whenever we are solely a slave of Jesus, it changes how we see our life. It changes our commitments. It changes uh, our loyalties. It changes our allegiance. And this is Jude, a slave of Jesus Christ. And this is from someone who rejected him only a few years prior. And how long does it take? It's like a, it's a process, right? You, you come to know the Lord and it takes you 10 to 12 years to, to become a, a, a fully devoted follower of Christ, right? No. He fills you with the Holy Spirit. It's no longer about your ability to do right. He fills you with the Holy Spirit. He awakens you. He brings you from death to life so that you might be His because you are His because He's purchased you. So it's not that Jude had to graduate to a place that he could say, I'm a servant of Jesus Christ. He just understands who He is. And we would do well to be reminded of who we are in Christ. We are His slave we are his servant we are solely submissive to christ he purchased me and i am his is what jude is saying what a marked difference that true belief makes whenever you truly belong to jesus it should be unmistakable in your life there's also an additional reason that um, Jude used this language as servant of Jesus Christ. He did so to denote authority. As he was writing to, um, to the, uh, his audience here, as he was writing to this church, likely uh, that this term, a servant, a servant of Jesus Christ or a servant of God, is what the Old Testament prophets would use to denote that they had a word from the Lord and they spoke with authority. And so again, we know that authority comes from Scripture and the New Testament church, is, they are starting to adopt some of these books as authority. They are understanding very clearly which books have authority. And so he is saying, he's putting his stamp on the beginning of this. This isn't just Jude talking to you guys. This is a servant of Jesus Christ. I am one who comes to you who has the authority of the Lord. He was recognizing it was the Spirit who was inspiring uh, his pen and his words. And so he speaks with authority that, as he used the term, the servant of the Lord, that his Hebrew audience would have quickly and clearly picked up on that. Well, secondly, uh, we also see that he identifies himself as the brother of James. As Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ, and a brother, and the brother of James. And so, well, you know, isn't that enough to be the brother of Jesus, which he doesn't say, but isn't it enough to be the servant of God, to be a slave of Jesus Christ, to have authority from God, uh, that the Hebrew people would understand, you would think that it would be enough. But he also adds that he's a brother of James. 
And so he's recognizing by stating that he's a servant of Christ, he's recognizing where his true identity is. He says, regardless of whose other brother I am, regardless of my brother James, uh, regardless of who I am, I'm ultimately in Christ first and foremost. So he recognizes that. But however, he's also the brother of James. Now, James is not just his brother bebopping down the street. He just so happens to have his brother as the head of the Jerusalem church. His brother is a significant figure in the growing church. He um, was an apostle of Jesus Christ. He has authority in the church. He is written, and if you go, and especially once you realize that Jude and James are brothers here, and you read the, the introduction of James, read the introduction of Jude, like, hey, they're from the same house. That's very similar. And so but he, he points out, he brings into attention that he is the brother of James. And so as such, by saying this, what he says has weight, and it should be received as it is from the apostles. Because Jude is not an apostle, but he is closely linked to the apostle. As, the, as one of the brothers of Jesus, he is, he is working with the apostles. He is traveling with the apostles. He is investing in the church. Some would say he is a traveling evangelist, Jude is, as he's spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ, and he has helped setting up churches, and he's teaching the word of God. So he is, he is aligning with the apostles. And this is important as we talk about here in the next few weeks, the apocryphas. We talk about other books that are not written by apostles to understand the authority of Scripture, to understand the canonicity of Scripture, what, uh, what brings and what qualifies a book of the Bible to be the Bible. But here's Jude. He says, I'm a servant of Jesus and I'm a brother of James. And so I'm not just someone who's writing to you. I'm not just someone who's blogging today. I am someone who's coming to, uh, with, to you with authority. Which brings us to the question, who is this written to? Who is listening? Who is, who is the audience? And we've said already they're a very Hebrew audience. But specifically, who is he written to? Because most of the New Testament letters, they're written to a very specific group or church. And we say that Jude is not, as we've already have talked about. But we don't know specifically which group, but we know he is speaking to a group. And there's, to, to quote a couple of things that are coming in, in uh, verses, uh, that he's talking about writing to you and references certain people. So he clearly has a unique congregation in mind as he is writing this letter. Now, we know that he is writing to the original audience, but he's also writing to us today. And as we work through Jude, we're going to understand that he is speaking to us through the Holy Spirit. Or rather, the Holy Spirit is speaking to us through Jude. Some scholars say that Jude is a Catholic letter. We haven't used the word Catholic in a long time. This is not Catholic with a capital C. This is Catholic with a little c. And so, especially in the first century, when you talked about the church Catholic, was different than talking about the Catholic church. The church Catholic just meant the general church. And so, although this was written for a specific congregation, likely, it's also written for the general church. It's written for all of God's people. It is a word of warning that is applicable to all of us, even today. To the church catholic either way we know that all of god's word is about jesus and it's for us so the word that jude has for his original audience applies to us today we're not going to get as far as i hope but i do want to finish this second half of verse one here not finish it i want to just introduce it here because who is it really to it is to I wish we could know clearly. Oh, wait, it says in Jude 1, who it's to. <laughs> to 
those who are called, beloved in God the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ. To those who are called, to those who are loved, and to those who are kept. And that is a beautiful picture of the audience of this letter of Jude. And that clearly points to the bride of Christ. The bride that God has called, the bride that God has and still and will always love, and the bride that Jesus Christ keeps. And so I don't want to do this uh, injustice by running through uh, two, because I want us to spend some time on the second half of one and verse two. So in true North Hills fashion, we'll table the end till next week. So, uh, so you don't have to cancel your lunch plans. Um, and as we continue this morning, as we come to the Lord's table, as we continue to sing, as we as we're still gathered as God's people to remember that God has gathered us together for our good and for his glory. As we come to the Lord's table to remember, especially this morning, as we work through even first Peter chapter one, that we are purchased by the blood of Jesus. May we remember that this morning. We are his and he is ours. Let us pray. Lord, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for your word. I thank you, Lord, for Jude, this small book in the back of the Bible. Help us, Lord, to be intentional and diligent, to not be rushed, but to to walk through this book, to hear what you have to say to us. And even this morning, as you've spoken to us, even through this half verse in the introduction, you help us to hear from you. Not just hear from you, Lord, but you help us to respond in faith and obedience. But you help us as your people to take this, Lord, and encourage others and to challenge others to look to you and to go as Jude did from a place of unbelief to a place of belief. As we continue to sing, as we come to the communion table this morning, Lord, may we worship Christ through singing, and through this communion. And we pray these things in the sweet and strong name of Jesus. Amen.